I'm Maserati E. And I'm Chris Redlitz. Welcome to The Last Mile Radio. We're paving the road to success. No lie. I've been on a mission for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I've been on a mission for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. Hey, paving the road to success. I'm paving the road to be my best. I'm paving the road to success. Yo, E. Chris, what up, what up, what up? Well, today we're going to be talking about a very urgent and distressing topic that's really becoming an issue all across the country, gun violence. Got to talk about it. And specifically in Chicago and America. And, you know, this is something you know well. Mm -hmm. Um, And the the, we're going to talk about some of the issues that we're dealing with and also some of the solutions that are being implemented in Chicago and across the country. And we have a great guest to talk about it. Arnie Duncan, who's really got an organization in Chicago specifically that's head on dealing with this issue. I'm definitely excited to have this conversation. It is somewhat of a gloomy convo. However, I'm excited because of the impact that it can make and the growth that could come from it. You know what I mean? This is something that I do feel needs to be discussed. I'm definitely glad to spark this conversation. Hopefully this conversation becomes contagious to the point that we're all moved to action and we do something about it. You know what I mean? As a whole, as society as a whole, because it needs to be done. We need to come together. I say it all the time. You know, we drawing these lines in the sand when we need to create circles and we need to all get within that circle for sure, for sure, because it's it's getting crazy. It's getting crazy, especially in spots um, like Chicago, you know, just to drop some numbers out there, according to the latest statistics, Chicago's violent crime rate is significantly higher than the national average. In 2022 alone, there were over 750 homicides reported in the city. That's 750 lives that are no longer with us. That's 750 families in the community that's been affected. Like, that's it's crazy. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It really does affect cities, neighborhoods, and definitely communities. And that's why you have to deal with it head on. And what Arnie is doing with an organization that he started called Chicago Cred, C-R-E-D, which Mm -hmm. stands for Creating Real Economic Destiny, is something he started six years ago. And it's working directly with the high-risk people that are looked at as part of the problem. Mm -hmm. But those have been just as involved and been to prison, coming back, they're becoming part of the solution. So the Chicago cred membership is really people who have lived experience who can go back into the neighborhoods, talk to those people who are creating issues and try to talk some sense into them and really start creating some some discussions and some solutions. And they're having impact. Absolutely. In my opinion, that's the way to get it done as a person. Unfortunately, that has caused that type of harm. Like, I know firsthand what it's like, but having that experience, I also understand how you get to that point. You know, I don't feel like anybody is born into this world a criminal. I don't feel like anybody is born into this world a gang member or, you know, just a person of violence. Those are characteristics and behaviors that are developed. You know what I mean? And a lot of times we don't realize how that development began and how we got to the point that we are because it becomes so normalized. So I think for people like me and people like the ones that Arnie are working with, you know what I mean? Like we have that understanding of how we got to that point. So we have a better understanding of a solution. We have a better understanding of the ways to navigate and avoid, you know, these problems to exacerbate to that degree. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's very important, the work that he's doing. I think this is quite literally one of the few and only ways we can efficiently get that job done because at the end of the day, we need cooperation. Once we see everybody play their part individually, that's how we see a difference collectively. You yeah. know what I mean? So this is real important work that he's doing on top of, you know, the economic aspect of it too. That just completely shifts a person's perspective, which can alter the trajectory of their life in general once they see the options that they have. A lot of times we we do what I call internalizing self-input limitations. And that's based on our overall perception and perspective of life. So what he's doing is something that could quite literally alter the perception and perspective of people's lives, which can change the trajectory. Yeah, I know you talk a lot about, you know, you found a positive influence when you were in prison. Right. It's kind of too late. 
Right. But if, you know, there are people on the streets now, I can imagine if you had a positive influence when you were going through your issues at 17, it may have had an impact that would have prevented you from going to prison, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't think it may have. I think it absolutely 1000% would have for sure. Like I, I say all the time, I don't give credit to the prison, right? Prison was just the location. When it comes to my growth, I feel like I could have been at home. I could have still been in those same hoods and environments that I was in and all that. I had to encounter the people that I came across in prison in order to actually receive that information that contributed to my growth. You know what I mean? To be influenced in those type of ways. I, like, and, and, and the reason I highlight I could have still been in a hood because I got that in prison. You know what I mean? That's a very toxic environment. And we yeah. created a safe place within that. However, the people that had the influence over me, which contributed to my growth, was able to break that based yep. on their actions, based on who they were. You know what I mean? So that could have been anywhere. So if I would have encountered those men prior to prison, I would have never went to prison. I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's really the philosophy of Chicago cred. And Arnie Duncan, you know, he was from Chicago, is from Chicago. He grew up playing basketball in the streets and in all kinds of neighborhoods. So he has credibility on the streets. He parlayed that into, you know, a career you know, sub-career, his real career was, he was the secretary of education under Obama. He also was leading the Chicago education system as well when he was there. And now he's back in the streets with that credibility that he has to really create change. And, you know, the, the conversation will, will span from what he's doing in cred, also his experience on the basketball court and playing with some legends like LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and even President Barack Obama. The goats, the goats, man, that is incredible. Cred, it's a lot of credibility based on the results of the actions. You know what I mean? They actually getting it done in, from so many different angles. And I do have to say basketball definitely is a very effective tool for community to come together and have hard conversations and to grow together over basketball. And that's pretty deep. And basketball is a pretty universal part of the culture, if we will, for sure, for sure. So I definitely got to we, we going to start off giving flowers before he even here. We ain't even talked to him yet. He's getting <laughs> flowers. It's getting real. But when we come back, we're going to be chopping it up with Arnie Duncan. We talking hoops. We talking his journey to the White House, how he's addressing the root causes of violence with sustainable solutions. Oh, it's going to get real, Chris. It's going to get real. So stay tuned for our conversation with Arnie Duncan right here on the Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM. Yes, yes, and we are back. We are back. You are tuned in to the Last Mile Radio right here on SiriusXM. It's going down. And Chris, we have another amazing guest in the building today with us today. We have Arnie Duncan. Arnie Duncan, welcome to the Last Mile Radio. Great to you. You're the right hype, man. Get this thing going. Boy. Holy cow. <laughs> Holy. Yes, sir. Great to meet you, and thank, thanks for joining us. And Chris, great to see you again, and thanks, thanks for having me. Really, really Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great to have you with us today. And it's been a while since we connected, so we'd love to get an update on the projects that you're working with. You know, obviously, Cred in Chicago, Emerson Collective. But first, I think it'd be really helpful to get a bit of a background of your origin story, which is sort of this amazing combination with sports and academics and politics. Um, most of us know you as the Secretary of Education under the Obama administration. But your path is super interesting and inspiring. So can you take us back a little bit to the origin story in the, you know, south side of Chicago? Sure. Happy to and, you know, jump into many questions. I'm trying to go through it pretty quickly, but, but grew up uh, in, in Hyde Park by the University of Chicago, basically live on campus, you know, live now two blocks from where I grew up. My dad was a professor at the University of Chicago. And in 1961, my mother started an after school program. Chris, it was literally like, 10 blocks from our house. We used to walk there sometimes, but it was sort of across the visible barrier border of 47th Street from middle-class integrated Hyde Park where we lived and all black, all poor North, North Carolina, Oakland. She started that in 61. Um, I was born in 64, my, my sister in 67, my brother in 70. And we grew up literally from the time we were born going to after-school programs. So I went to that way after school, way before I went to real school. And it just had this formative impact on all of us and 
just seeing that, you know, what could happen with kids that, you know, had lots of challenges, but when they had people in the corner who really cared about them, um, knowing what was possible, I've seen that all my life. We got my love of basketball there and uh, she was real strict. We had to do our academic work first before we allowed her to gym. <laughs> And I actually took a year off from college between my junior and senior year, which is a little bit unusual, to sort of work full time with her. I actually wrote my senior thesis about her program. But honestly, Chris, I was trying to sort of figure out, was that work sort of a piece of who I was or was it actually who I was? And most of my friends were looking at, you know, law school, investment banking or something like that. It just didn't quite seem to fit me. And I didn't really know what it meant at the time, didn't have a clue really decided that I wanted to, you know, stay, stay connected to the community. I've always really had, you know, two passions, you know, basketball, we can talk about that and um, education, helping kids and Dollar Grove from Chicago cred coming back home from DC uh, is just sort of the next sort of chapter in my journey of trying to get back to the city that's giving me every opportunity. That's what's up. That's what's up. So one of the things you mentioned is, is your passion for basketball. So um, you literally have game. That's one of the expressions, you know, in the community that we say like, oh, you got game. You know what I mean? I'm referring to wisdom and knowledge and things like that. But you quite literally have game as a baller. I see you, Arnie. I see you, man. And in your case, basketball. This gave you a view and understanding of diverse communities as a young kid. You played on playgrounds all through Chicago, which led to a college career and beyond. And you are a two-time MVP of the NBA Celebrity All-Star Game. So I most definitely got to give you your flowers for that. We, we give flowers on this show, Arnie. We, <laughs> we give credit when it's due. We're going to give you your flowers while you can still smell them. You know what I mean? But um, I got to know, man, what was that experience like growing up? It's funny. It's just, you're just a kid. You don't know any better. It's just your life. As you get older, you realize, you realize it's a little different than most. I'll just put it like that. Yeah, I grew up, you know, playing it. My mother's, you know, program was in a church and the church had a gym. And so, like I said, we'd do the academic work and we'd go play. And it just sort of worked out. There was a group of older guys who were sort of my mentors who I sort of came up under. And I grew really late. I'm 6'4 now, but I was 5'2 as a freshman in high school. So I grew a foot in high school, which is pretty unusual. I mean, I grew probably another two inches in college. So I was always the smallest, the slowest, the worst player. But I was around great players and just tried to soak up their knowledge, soak up their game. And then, you know, at 13, 14, 15, I started, you know, in Chicago, the best basketball, where is this? On the south and west sides. So you just start to travel and play in all the tournaments and, you know, just it, it, it's just an extraordinary opportunity, whether it's, you know, Isaiah Thomas or, Mark Aguirre, you know, play with Jordan a lot and, you know, just amazing chances just in parks, parks around the, you know, parks and playgrounds around the city. So one, that's absolutely where I got my love of basketball. We still play every morning. I played this morning at 730. That's my, my stress relief to keep my sanity in this tough world. We have a real big group of guys that go at it pretty, pretty hard. Um, But I always say I was blessed to go to fantastic schools and a wonderful university, but the best, you know, classroom for me has always been the basketball court. And all the life lessons of how to handle pressure and handle adversity and handle failure and how to be a good teammate and how to be a leader. And honestly, I I got a lot of faults, but one thing I'm pretty decent at is reading people's character because honestly, I had to do that to survive. There's certain guys I trust in my life too. There are other guys who watch out for. It was interesting. A lot of you know, you don't even know their government name, just their street name. Right. But it was it was life and death decisions. And so I'm just so blessed to have had those opportunities. You know throughout my life and whatever I've been able to accomplish professionally, um, I know without a doubt that would not have happened without the chance to, to have that, that classroom um, of the basketball court. That's deep. I, I, I hear you also played a lot of hoops with a pretty well-known person, uh, you know, President Obama. <laughs> Does he have game? Is it true? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll give you the backstory there because this is actually... <laughs> You know, basketball, some people play golf. That's not my thing. So uh, the, the basketball story is it just give you a little bit of the lineage, which is interesting. My best friend and mentor is a guy named John Rogers. He was a mm-hmm. star of the high school basketball team. when I was in middle, middle school and he runs aerial investments. He's an incredibly successful money manager, one of the only you know, black owned companies uh, in America doing that work. And that. so I came up under him and it's crazy. It's probably when I was 10 or 11, I'm 58 now. So that's a, you know, 46, 47 year relationship. And I don't make a major decision in life without talking to him. Mm. Um, he went on and played at Princeton, was a captain there. Um, he recruited to Princeton a young guy named Craig Robinson. And Craig was a great <laughs> player, grew up on the South Side here. And as you may know, Craig was Michelle's older brother, Michelle Obama. 
Right. So we, we first got to know uh, Michelle and then Barack. Barack was always Craig's little sister's boyfriend. That's what we knew him as. <laughs> and we, we sort of had to take on a court and make sure he was an okay guy. And we decided he was. But all of that, all those sort of social fabric, social connections, that was all through basketball. But yeah, to answer your question directly, uh, yeah, President Lo- loved to play, was real competitive. And it's interesting, he wasn't out there trying to score 50 or you know, do whatever. He was trying to win. And was just right. real serious about <laughs> trying to win. <laughs> game would be close. It hit beyond me. All right, let's go. And I'd, I'd feel the pressure. That's for sure. Like, we, got, we got to win this game. <laughs> but uh, he, he's it's not surprising. He's super smart, super cerebral, played good defense, moved the ball, was a great teammate. And uh, we had a lot of fun. And I, I just know in D.C. what a big you know, sort of stress relief that was for me. And obviously the level of stress he was under was just you know, an entirely different level. And it's almost sad, but just real. I, I actually used to think that was maybe the only place where he could just be a real person. Um, he mm. wasn't President Obama. He wasn't whatever. And people would say, you know, would you, would you let him win if you were playing against him? I'm like, no, hell no. And <laughs> playing, playing against him, we're trying to destroy him, playing with him, we're trying to win. But I know how much it meant to me, and I know it meant even more to him. So those are yeah, really, really fun times. I heard those games got pretty physical. You shared a little story with us. You want to share a little story about that? Um, no, well, <laughs> we try not to let him get physical, but he played pretty good defense one time, and guy pumped faked and hit him, hit him in the mouth and the lip. And you guys may remember mm. that, and blood and stitches. And it, I think Michelle sort of said, like, what are you doing out there? <laughs> You're too old here, the president. And, we kept playing. He got a little bit more uh, infrequent in showing up to the game. Chapter. <laughs> it was it was good with him while it lasted. <laughs> Probably Secret oh, Service man. leading into a little bit, right? It, no, no, they they stood that, but the, the medical team was there right away, and he, he was just fine. Little little, <laughs> little blood never hurt anybody. Oh uh, man, it's getting real. It's getting real. You're tuned in to the last mile radio. We chopping it up with Arnie Duncan. It's going down. It's going down. So one of the things that you kind of you know, got at a little bit earlier in our conversation was some of the things that you could pick up on by playing basketball with a person. You know, you're very observant and there's certain things that you can analyze about character. So what does a pickup game reveal about a person? That's a great question. And um, I just think you can't fake who you are on the court. You can't Mm. pretend to be something you're not. So if you're selfish, that's going to come out. Um, If you have a big ego, that's going to come out. If you're not a good teammate, that's going to come out. If you're not a hard worker, that's not going to come out. There are a lot of guys who like to shoot all the balls and tell us like game point. Then they get real scared all of a sudden. They want to touch the ball. And, you know, do you want the ball when there's pressure? And the flip side is, it's, you know, do you make your teammates better? Are you willing to, you know, get the hard rebound or do the scrappy stuff and, and just and win? And as you know, growing up in the playgrounds, you know, there might be literally 30, 40 guys waiting to play. So if you lose, you're sitting for a couple hours and, if you love to play, right. you don't want to sit. So you're just trying to figure out how to win and put people around you who, who know how to win and care. And often it wasn't the most talented folks, but you, you just want to play. You want to stay out there, you know, play five, six, seven, eight, see if you win 10 games in a row. And so you just can't fake who you are. And so for me, it is a great test to, you know, just to really understand someone is what kind of teammate are they? And um, what are they doing to help your team win? Or what are they not doing? It develops character, but it absolutely reveals character as well. Yeah, you, you played with some goats. You played with Michael Jordan and LeBron. And, and I, I heard a comment you said one day that um, you really found what kind of player LeBron was because he engaged and involved everybody on the court. It wasn't just about him. Yeah, well, I mean, he's sort of crazy. He's literally the leading scorer in the history of the NBA. And I, to this day, I think he's still a pass first guy, you know, so it's sort of inconceivable that, you know, he's obviously a prolific scorer. But if you look deep in his DNA, I think he would still rather pass the ball and set someone up than he would to shoot himself. Um, it's, yeah, it's really, really interesting. He's just obviously a, you know, one of the best, you know, whatever. You can have that debate all day long, one of the best one, two, three players in, in, the, in the history of the league and, and still going strong. I mean, it's unbelievable to see what he's still doing, you know, 18, 19, 20 years into the league. Yeah, it's amazing. So after, you know, being in Washington for all those years and being at the national level, you decided to come back to Chicago to your origin story and help address some of the dire issues in the city. Can you tell us how you evolved the idea for CRED and and really what the mission of CRED is? Yeah, that's a little bit of a tougher story, Chris. And actually goes back to where we're talking. So I was starting to, you know, play on the South and West sides as a teenager, 14, 15, 16. 
And there were a set of older guys who basically honestly protected me and sort of gave me safe passage in and out of neighborhoods. And I started to lose a couple of those guys to gun violence when I was a teen. And at that point, you don't really have a, you know, a social worker accounts or anything like that. You just sort of internalize that. And I think, honestly, that those experiences both shape you and maybe honestly scar you in some ways are a little bit difficult to talk about. So that was 14, 15, 16. Fast forward 20 years to when I started to leave Chicago Public Schools at age 36. And lots I'm proud about and have to come back another time, Chris, and talk about higher graduation rates and more kids going to college and all that. But uh, during my seven and a half years on my watch, on average, we had a student killed every two weeks due to gun violence. It was a wow. staggering rate of loss. Wow. And that was by far the hardest part of my job. And everything else, academic achievement, budget, labor management, operations, you name it. I don't say that was easy, but it was wildly easier than meeting those families 99% of the time after they had just lost their, their young child. And my wife and I had two young kids at that time. And going to those homes, going to those funerals, going to those classrooms where there was an empty desk and a class of traumatized kids and trying to make sense of the senseless. That was the hardest thing I did. And honestly, it got progressively harder. It didn't, it didn't get easier. And very naively, Chris, when our family moved to DC in 08, I really thought we were rock bottom in terms of violence. I thought it couldn't get any worse in Chicago. And in the seven years that we were gone, things got a lot worse, unfortunately. <laughs> And so for me, coming home, I'm, I'm just a Chicago boy. I've had these amazing, amazing opportunities. But I truly feel that we, and I put myself right, that we as whatever we are, adults, educators, community leaders, we failed to keep our kids safe on the South and West sides. And I just didn't feel that gun violence was being addressed in a meaningful way. And so coming home, um, obviously, you know, thought about it a lot, talked about it folks, but just decided to focus on reducing gun violence, have that be my only focus. And I've been at it for almost seven years now, which is crazy. And so many of our kids talk about if I grow up, not when I grow up. And all my mm-hmm. life, because I've talked about you know, deferred gratification and think long term and plan to go to college. But honestly, for a lot of our kids who are just trying to survive, I actually think that's a foreign language. That's like speaking Greek or something. That's just not that's not their reality. They're trying to make it day to day. And so we're just uh, we started with you know 25 guys who work with the men and women most at risk of shooting and being shot. We started with. 25 guys uh, about six and a half years ago. Now we now have eight sites across the city. I just left one of our sites now. We worked over a thousand men and women. We're now down to 13 year olds, unfortunately, because 13 year olds are shooting, being shot. And we just really try and give people a path out of that life and, and get into the focus of, into the strategy behind what we do. But everyone has a life coach to help them grow, everyone has a clinician to help them heal. We uh, work with uh, tutors to get folks high school diplomas and going to college with a big high school graduation coming up in two weeks, which is always pretty amazing. And then we have a jobs program at the back end. And after folks spend about a year, year and a half of us, Chris, we spin them off into the legal economy. It's all the same lessons that, that you've learned through all of your extraordinary work that you have folks who have gone you know, one path, but you give them some different opportunities. They can go a very different path. We need all that leadership. We need all that, that brain power. Um, all that you know, resiliency and, and heart for the community and family. And you've done such a great job of you know, finding folks jobs and getting them back on their feet. And that's the same thing we try and do. And I often say, people say, oh, it's, you know, it's great to give people a second chance and I actually reject that notion most of the time. I really think vast majority of cases are giving someone a first chance. Yeah, right. every, in, every institution in their life, family, school, community, failed them early in life. And they made, it was hard for folks to understand this, but I know you guys do, they made a very rational choice at an early age to, to go into the street because they basically didn't have other options. Yep. And you know, now we just give them a second rational choice. They don't have to come work with us. No one has to come do anything to us. And they choose that quite happily because they want to do something else. And every story is unique. And I always ask everyone, you know, so what age do you get caught up in the, the youngest? The young, one guy's actually on our staff now. He said that he had to go into the street when he was nine years old because of his, his family situation. Wow. And you sort of think about it, nine years old, what's going on at home that you have to do that, one. And two, who's hiring when you're nine? And there's only right. one person yeah. hiring when you're nine. You know who that is. And yeah. so he did what he had to do. And I'm thrilled he's doing an amazing job with us. But boy, do I wish he had had some better opportunities at seven, eight, and nine and not gone down that path. You've seen positive results. You're obviously doing this because you're hopeful. When do we sort of cross that chasm where we think we're on headed in the right direction 
Yeah, well, we, we try and we have a whole lot of art network where we really try and be data driven and have, you know, Northwestern University is doing a you know, third party randomized control trial. So just to give you the numbers, we're showing roughly 50% reductions in victimizations and in recidivism. And uh, we, the neighborhoods were there, Chicago was down. Chicago is, is unfortunately one of the most violent cities in America. Chicago was down 14% last year, which was great. But we had five neighborhoods that were down 40% or more, and we work in three of those neighborhoods. And so both at the individual level and the community level, we're having impact. It's never enough. We want to do more. We're trying to get better every single day. Um, We've absolutely had too many losses of our participants, of our alumni. We had a, a very tragic loss recently that we're still you know, trying to recover from. But we are actively trying to scale, Chris, and serve more, more young men and more more communities and you know every, every city is different but there's a lot of a lot of similarities so chicago's a, a city of neighborhoods as you know but only 15 neighborhoods produce about uh 75 80 percent of our violence and so we're deep in three of those and we're trying to expand and expand our partners and for me it's just so possible <laughs> we could just sort of saturate 15 neighborhoods and give everyone who needs an opportunity a chance um, yeah. I'm convinced we could have the, the dramatic reduction of violence that we're, we're trying to achieve. And so I am, I am, it's the hardest work I've ever done. It's honestly the most heartbreaking, but I'm very hopeful, but I, I'm hopeful. I think not naively, I'm hopeful based on the evidence, yeah. <laughs> based on what I get to see every single day. And, uh, but I'm also incredibly impatient that we have to get there much faster than we are as a city. Um, when I go into classrooms and you talk to young kids, South and West sides, I always ask kids, how many of you know someone's been killed? And Chris, literally every single time, every hand goes up. Every single mm. kid knows someone who's been killed. And I, I'll ask, how many mm. know three, five, eight, 10, 15, and usually half to a third of the room's hands are still up. Wow. And I've never been to Iraq. I've never been to Afghanistan. But our kids are living in war zones. Mm, and literally. it's obviously never, ever their fault. And um, we just have to make it. I, we always say we, we work so kids can play. That's our motto. We work so kids. We're just trying to give kids a child's back. And so it's... Yeah. A real easy thing to say. It's a harder thing to do, um, but that—that's—that's that's what we're—that's what we're focused on. Well, kudos to you. It's hard work, like you said, but um, it's got to be done. And right. those of us who are leaning in to t- try to resolve issues. Um, it's got to be done. You know, just the, the amount of talent. Like so many of our staff, like you are, former participants, and just to see their leadership and see what they're doing to get back to the community and build strong families. It's like. We can't win this. I always say that those folks closest to the problem, they have the answers, they have the solutions, and our job is to walk yeah. with them and empower them, but they're not the problem. So it's really trying to get the larger society to understand that we can't win this battle without their talent, their heart, their commitment, their courage. And you know, we're out there every day risking our lives so that other kids can, other people can be safe. And our guys could escape, they can go do something else, but this is, their, this is where their yeah. heart is. And so yeah. we have to just keep walking with them and learning from them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Such a tough job, such a tough lane to be in. It's a lot that comes with that. So got to give you your flowers and salute to your team as well, because that, that's an experience I kind of know personally. You know what I mean? I, I kind of was one of those kids growing up as well that I had to deal with a lot. So I, I know firsthand what it takes to endure that. So to remain hopeful, to remain resilient, man. That that's much easier said than done. So salute to you, salute to your team. Got to give y'all y'all flowers yet again, man, for real. Because like you said, the work definitely needs to be done. So it's highly appreciated beyond words, man. I appreciate it. It's, it's an extraordinary team, and yeah, we deal with a lot, but it's it's, a, it's you know incredibly resilient and strong, and you know sort of mission mission driven. Everyone's focused. But this up, I know you're interviewing me. I'll flip the script for a minute. Like, what would have when you were going through that stuff? What would have helped you at that point, and how were you when that sort of pivotal time was? But for, for myself, Arnie, man, I, I needed a better example. Some people felt like they needed prison and things like that. I needed the people that were inside that prison, unfortunately. I needed the right words at the right time. And for me, um, running into what I call like my first positive male role model, my boy Samuel Brown, man, seeing him walk his walk, that really inspired me and influenced me to, you know, alter the trajectory of my life, my overall mind frame. I I was able to see how distorted my belief system really was by seeing somebody defy that, you know what I mean? And ultimately seeing the response to his defiance and everybody respected him, everybody accepted him. And seeing that and seeing that that was possible, um, 
I, I, I really wanted to emulate that. You know what I yeah. mean? Because how yeah. we act a lot of times, we, we wear a mask in order to survive. Yeah. And yeah. that's exactly what it is. It is a mask. It's not our core identity. It's not our true self. It's far from being in alignment with that. So internally, you can feel that. Internally, you feel like something isn't right. So seeing him really allowed me to get more in tune with that and see that it's okay to take that mask off. So that's what I would have needed, me personally. Yeah, that's real, 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 real and real powerful. Appreciate you being so, so honest. And what age did you need that idea? Like what age would that have turned you in a different direction? Middle school. For myself, yeah. middle school. I think, I think yeah. like 12, 13 is where things started to really go downhill and I started to really commit to that lifestyle and really believe it. You know what I mean? So I would say like 12, 13. Now, I think that's yeah, almost you know, 10, 11, 12, 13. And we, that's what we're trying to do. Like we're at the back end of this dealing with the crisis space. And, you know, we're trying to work with those who are doing the shooting and getting shot. But ideally we want to work downstream too and get those young, you know, mostly young men, also some young women, but if we can get them at 10, 11, 12. We're trying to think about how we get some of our life coaches into the schools. Um, because right. if we can catch them before they get too deep. We could avoid a whole lot of uh, trauma and heartbreak and bloodshed, but that that's 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 the right age. You you, you lived it, so you, you know you know. Yeah, and it's also it's also seeing like he said, having those role models, and we're finding now today that you know we have graduates that come out of last mile computer programming and audio video production. They're going back to their neighborhoods, and you know they're doing careers that didn't seem possible before. You know. And so I have a question for you. You came in San Quentin and visited the last mile. Uh, what was your impression of that? Uh, this was several years ago, but I'm curious to, to hear your impression of, of that experience. Well, first, I got to get back, Chris. So we got to sort of figure out next time I'm out, out your way. would love to come back. And, love to do it. That was pre-pandemic. And so it's been, it's been a minute. Um, honestly, really inspiring. And just so appreciate what you and your team have built. And what I saw was obviously you don't know everyone's background story, why they're there. Nobody wants to be there. So it's like, you know, there for whatever reason. But I saw a whole bunch of serious, smart, committed, focused folks who can be great fathers and role models and community leaders. And, uh, you know, you're trying to help give them the, you know, the, the skills and the talents and the mindset to, to do that once they once they get out. But um, I'm always funny. I, I, you were trying to reduce gun violence. But I think a lot of time when I'm really trying to I think I'm trying to identify leaders. I think that's really sort of part of my job is I'm identifying leaders and trying to put them in positions. And they're already leading, just have to give them a chance to lead in a different direction. And um what I saw when I saw the lead, you know, when we visited last mile, I saw a whole bunch of the leaders. That's, that's what I saw. And so it, you know, again, I, I am hopeful, but it's, I was trying to be hope, hope based on reality, not, not naive hoping on uh, spending time there. You walk out, it breaks your heart. Um, you, you have a little sense of the pain and the suffering and the loss and the disconnect and what that does to families and kids, but also a sense of, of what's possible. And obviously, you know, you, you don't just, you know, think about that. You believe it. You're living it, or else you wouldn't continue to do what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, I think also. I think also is you're experiencing this in Chicago as your as your program grows. We're also experiencing this this community on the outside. You know, you've gone through that lived experience, then the community really becomes bonded, and it's sort of amazing for us to see how organically it's just growing in the support system that develops because now there is. You know, we call it family. It's an organization, but there is that support system. I'm sure you're seeing that evolve in Chicago. Yeah, it's it's real, and it's it's. I mean, I don't want to say we're trying to replace family, but but very few families were are stable, intact, <laughs> functional, frankly. So we're just trying to create a sense of family, a sense of belonging, a sense of love, and it's it's precarious, it's fragile. Again, we have amazing days and we have heartbreaking days. I know you guys do as well. But I think at the, you know, Eric talked about our core. I think at the core, we're all looking for sort of the same. We're looking for love. We're looking oh, yeah. for acceptance. We're looking for people who care about us. And I mean, it's funny. I was a young guy literally this morning. So it's just fresh. You know, he, he's dealing with a lot. He's trying to get custody of his daughter. And he came in. He was a little bit late, a little bit frazzled. And, and uh, you know, so I got a lot going on. I try to keep it inside. And we just sort of start laughing. Like, why do you think we're here? We're just here. You know, 
we're here because we want to help. You know, like let's talk. Right. Let's talk about open. Let's talk about childcare. Let's talk about housing. Let's talk about you know whatever you need. But um, that's uh, and he said, I know, I know, I know. But it, it's you know, it's almost what you said. He's got to keep his guard up. You know, he's got to not trust because that's what he's learned. But trying to learn a different set of habits and skills around people who are only there to see you be successful. And I think that's that's you know some differences in how we work and where we work and what we do, but it is hard. I think it is trying to create family. It is trying to create community. It's trying to create support and encourage people to move folks in the right direction. And again, everyone's story is different, but a lot of our guys have been locked up. Talk about when they get locked up, you know, the, the, the gang, the clique stops showing up so much. They're not putting money on their books. You know, it's not everything is cracked up to be. And really who's there when things are tough. And that's what we try yep. and be there when things are tough. Yep. That's real. That's real. And you're listening to Arnie Duncan right here on the Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM is going down. So, Arnie, we know, man, you a man of many hats, been around the block quite a few times and you had a very long involvement in politics. Would you ever consider going back into politics? Well, I should be careful on display. I, I never ran for office. I'm not a politician. <laughs> so, <laughs> just to be clear, just to be clear. I'll be clear. I've never run, never run for dog catcher. So <laughs> I do love policy. I do love, you know, kids and community. And uh, I would, yes, I would absolutely consider it. And it's, you know, I started, you know, in community. Then I ran to Chicago Public Schools. Then I, you know, went to D.C. and did things nationally. And now I'm back, you know, hyper-local, literally on um, blocks, you know, including last night. And there are pros and cons to working at every level. And I'm exactly where I want to be now, doing what I want to do. Um, there's amazing strengths to being able to do that. Um, you're also not able to scale things at the kind of, you know, in D.C., my budget was $70 billion. That's not my, that's not my budget these days. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I get to do is I get to go back to the community night after night after night. And in D.C., I visit all 50 states and 100 schools, but I almost never went back to the same, same school twice. Okay. And so... Um, for me, we need good people at every, you know, at the local level, state level, federal level. We need good people in government. We need good people, you know, in nonprofits and social service agencies. And for every person, there's not a right or wrong answer. It's what's right for them and what's right for them at that point in their life. So this is exact. I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing right now. Um, want to stay with it for, for a while. We still have too far to go. So, um, but you, you know, you, you're down the road. If, if there's a chance to serve, you know, I would, I would look at it. And last thing I'll say is interesting. I really didn't, <laughs> I wasn't that interested in being secretary of education. That was not some ambition. I think most of my life, I didn't know there was a secretary of education. <laughs> uh, I, I had done seven and a half years in Chicago. I really wanted to do 10 years because it's so much turnover in those roles and you want to have stability. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did do, I really wanted to go be part of President Obama's team. And, you know, I say this, if you'll laugh, but if you said, you know, come to the White House, Arnie, and take out the garbage for me, I would have said, yes, sir. And I just, we, we had a history and, Again, going back to being a good teammate, I knew his heart. I knew what he was about. I knew the historic nature of his presidency. And so I just wanted to be part of his team. And it happened to be Secretary of Education, but that wasn't like oh, my dream. And, oh, my God, I've arrived. That wasn't it at all. And so it really is about can you have impact? Are you working with people who you have the highest respect for? Are you able to make a difference? And if the answer is yes in those things, again, whether it's government or non-government or local and national, then you try and, uh, you, you try and do those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, got to give you your flower. You're going to have a bouquet by the end of this show. <laughs> stop, 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 stop. Again, got to give you your flowers, man. Just step up to the plate like that and knock it out the park. <laughs> there you go. Well, Arnie, again, we appreciate it very much. We we love to, to close our conversations with one question we, we ask all our guests. And you're in the midst of this, so you probably have many, many answers. But if there's one particular thing within criminal justice that really sticks out to you that you would change, what would that be? Oh, boy, man, another hour, Chris. Yeah, I know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, let me, let me, I don't even know if I can do one. I'll just say a couple things. So, I, 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 yeah, uh, uh, anyway, here we go. Um, People think I'm the soft on crime guy, and I'm not. Here in Chicago, almost no homicides get solved. So in the neighborhoods where we work, the, the, the arrest rate for homicides is usually 10, 11%. Wow. So that means you have an 89, 90, 91% chance of getting away, literally with murder, literally with murder. And tragically, for every participant we have had killed, and it's been too many, not, not one case has been solved. And so 
um, just the lack of trust that, you know, between police and community and nobody wants to go to jail for 34 years. That's no definition of manhood anymore. So one is the police have to rebuild trust with the community and um, you want a deterrence. That'd be one. Secondly, I'm, I'm pretty radical, but I would love to get rid of a whole bunch of these guns. And it, just as a country, we're insane on this issue. And these, you know, no other, you know, Australia, Canada, Japan, any, any of those, you know, no other countries anywhere near the level of violence that, that, that we have. Um, so that'd be some, something else I'd look at. But again, just real time, this is yesterday. We have one of our best staff now, a former, former participant who became a life coach, who we li- literally just promoted recently to become our lead life coach working with our youth. He's doing an unbelievable job. From a case going back four years ago, he will probably get locked up next week. Wow. And that's a huge loss to our team. <laughs> it's a huge loss to the community. It's a huge loss to his family. And probably worse, it actually makes the community less safe because every mm. day he's, he's literally saving lives and leading by example and getting young men to put down the guns. And so it's a complicated one. And I, you know, I, I don't know whether he's innocent or guilty based on what he did four or five years ago. But somehow we have to Chris, look at this is com- look at the totality of who somebody is, and whoever he might have been four or five years ago, that's not who he is now. I literally, literally trust him with my life. I go places with him that you know no business going to because I I know he can navigate through those situations. So how we look at the totality of who people are, and the goal for me is not incarceration. The goal is, is rehabilitation. And if, if and gold is contributing to society, and we know vast majority of incarceration just makes you better criminals. It doesn't, doesn't, you know, you're trying to break that risk. But so those would be the three things, you know, actually having consequences for homicide, getting rid of a whole bunch of these guns, but really understanding where people are transforming their lives. No one benefits by, by the, you know, the cost of prison taxpayers have been losing that talent, losing that heart. And this is a real time we're going we're gonna to have to deal with the situation we went yesterday is again postponed to next week. And it, it's, I'm just absolutely struggling to see this guy probably going to return to prison. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm definitely not at peace with it. Definitely not at peace. Well, that's tragic. It really is. <clears throat> with that said, though, um, we're hopeful, Arnie. You know, we are working hard. You are working hard. We're going to make we're going to make a positive momentum in our in our uh, communities across the country. You know, we hope to have the last mile in Illinois here soon. And, you know, we want to work close with you and your neighborhood. So I'm looking forward to that day as well. That'd be amazing. It just congrats to your team. It's you know, beyond inspiring to come out and see you guys. And uh, I'll try and mix them out uh, in the San Fran area. I'll, um, I'd love to come out again and spend some time. That's 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 how I learned. And um I gained a tremendous amount from that visit. So thank, thanks so much for your leadership. And thanks for staying with us. Lots of folks start things and disappear and you're staying with it. And that's, that's unusual. Yeah. Well, we appreciate that. We appreciate you joining us today. I know you got a, you got a jet out, um, but uh, thanks so much for taking this time and, and, and joining us. And, and as he always says, sharing some of your jewels. Absolutely. I don't know if I have any jewels, but uh, a great conversation. Thanks, you guys, leadership, and look forward to seeing you guys in person. So take care now. Keep the All right. You too. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Bye-bye. And we just chopped it up with Arnie Duncan right here on the Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Yes, yes, yes. We are back. We are back. You tuned in to the Last Mile Radio right here on Sirius XM is going down. That was a good conversation. He is a cool dude. Two-time celebrity all-star game MVP on top of everything else. See, if it was me, that would be what I would relate to before anything else. (laughs) The celebrity MVP, for sure. Yeah, balling, balling. And and I I think it really highlighted... Many different things, right? For starters, the importance of presence. I, I definitely want to touch up on that. The importance of presence, even when it's unexpected. I think everybody 
is deserving and, and to some to to some degree kind of needs somebody present in their life. You know what I mean? Need somebody that's kind of like that solid figure when it's a whole bunch going on, somebody to kind of keep you grounded. You know what I mean? Somebody to instill that belief, um, willing to create that healthy support system, no matter how toxic an environment may be. Yeah. I think he really highlighted the importance of that. And that just go, that, that goes back around, like how I always say, with the lines in the sand in the circles, right? Like he's yeah. really creating those circles and we starting to see the results of people willing to step into that. You know what I mean? And begin to erase those lines, which is extremely important. He breaking the mold. He breaking the mold. So it's really, it's interesting because, you know, uh, Chicago cred is relatively new. It's mm-hmm. six years old. Um, when we started the last mile technology training program, we actually started as an entrepreneurship program. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy in our, our class, first class, James Houston, mm-hmm. who was from Richmond, California, really, really bad neighborhood years ago. If you remember, the crime rate in Richmond was, I think, top three in the country. Yeah, Richmond was wild. They was in state of emergency. Around that time, they were in state of emergency for quite some time. Richmond was right. wild. Small city, but it, it was, man, it was wild. <laughs> yeah, so so his goal, because he was in prison for, for a, a violent crime for 18 years, mm-hmm. his goal was to go back to his community. Right. So his project was called Teen Tech Hub. And basically was going back and teaching technology inside the community. Sound familiar wow. now, right? Right. <laughs> um, something we're doing in prison today. But James went back and he joined an organization called Advance Peace. Hmm. And it was started uh, within the city of Richmond. And they did something very creative, which we talked about with Arnie, was taking those who were formerly incarcerated, give them some you know, tools to take back in the community and create incentives. And this was a bit controversial because uh, you're basically paying these young folks and it's mostly young people who are creating most of the crime. I think the stat was like 10% of the community was creating 100% of the crime, right? It was a small group. So how do we attack that group, attack it in a good way and, um, and approach them head on? So James was one of those. He was called a senior peacekeeper going back in the city of Richmond and um, paying them. They paid a stipend every month to not create crime. That's how you do it. That's a start. It's a start. And then they create mentorship, mentorships. So Richmond, for those who don't know where it is, it's in the East Bay. It's not that far from San Francisco. Right. Many of the, the folks in, you know, growing up in Richmond had never been across the bridge, never been in the city, never been to Marin, which, you know, has a lot of open space and, and so forth. Never Beautiful been exposed city. to that. So part of what they did was they took these young people into the city and brought them into companies. Oh, wow. Like uh, Twitter and some of the companies at that time, big dogs, big dog, you know, showing them what what was going on in the city that they saw from afar, you know, across the bay. And he also took I remember he took a group to Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. to meet some legislatures there, legislators there. And it was so effective that um, now they have, I believe it's 30 chapters across the country. Oh, wow. And their impact in the first 24 months they have a 40% reduction in uh, gun violence in wow. those communities. So it's been crazy. And in Richmond alone, I think the stat is they reduced gun violence by over 80%. Wow. So, you know, attacking it head on, like Arnie is in with Chicago Cred in, in uh, Chicago, um, is something that has a lot of validity, but it's, you know, it's block by block, neighborhood by neighborhood. And and that's where it's having an effect. Absolutely. And and I got to say, as as y'all know, I'm from Oakland, California. That's not too far from Richmond at all. So I'm definitely, uh, and I got a bunch of family in Richmond. So I'm definitely familiar with what's going on out there and what was going on out there. And I got to say, it was pretty wild, man. It was pretty wild. So to hear these numbers, that is pretty mind blowing. And to bring it around full circle, that definitely goes hand in hand, you know, with the advanced piece in Chicago cred that 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 initiative that they demonstrate is really community driven. It approaches the, the approaches are essential in addressing gun violence. They're 
emphasis on engagement, support, and empowerment offers a fresh perspective on violence reduction. And these programs are shining examples of how we can create positive change in our communities. Like they're doing it. The proof is in the pudding. Like hearing these numbers just in Richmond, you know what I mean? I could only imagine how that impact is being made in Chicago as well, because it, it, it's definitely too a higher degree over there. It's bigger numbers, you know what I mean? Yep. Bigger city, so it's bigger numbers. Um, however, the roots of the approach are practically identical. So I think the results will be the same. You know what I mean? And that just goes to show again, I can't say it enough. I can't stress it enough why we really need to be involved in our communities. We need to be present. We need to be there. You know what I mean? Because it's real difficult to make that impact or be heard to the point where a person could be moved to action, you know, when you contribute an advice or suggestions or help from a distance. You know yep. what I mean? That's what we see in our policing. You know what I mean? It's people that's not from the community coming to police the community so the understanding is much off. You know what I mean? And then we see a, a, a lot of friction there due to reasons like that. So it's very important that we are actively involved, you know, boots laced and on those front lines, willing to stand up for what we believe in for a better tomorrow. You know what I mean? And just showing that support. So definitely got to give them their flowers. They doing a hell of a job and it's far from easy. It's actually, it actually can be quite dangerous. You know what I mean? So it's kind of scary. However, it's worth it. And once people began to really understand, you know, who's there to help and who's actually an ally, not an enemy, I think that threat is diminished completely. You know what yep. I mean? And then at that point, you become embraced and you're actually a part of the community. You know what I mean? So it's like, I, I strongly encourage any and everybody to really understand the power that they possess as a person, you know what I mean? Every person on this planet has power and that's the power to influence. That's the power to choose how we respond to each and everything we face in life. So we can choose to respond to this gun violence problem. You know what I mean? By getting actively involved in making this change for sure. Yeah, I agree. And we've seen it with the last mile technology program where we have right. graduates going back into the community, being a positive influence, showing that other careers are are opportunities, real opportunities. You make real money and real support. It's critically important. Absolutely. Well said, Chris. And let's continue these conversations and support organizations like Advanced Peace and Chicago Cred and work together to bring about meaningful change. And of course, it's about that time. So, you know, we got to give flowers. I want to give flowers to both the organizations for their efforts in helping to reduce gun violence. Like that is big. And speaking of flowers, we're adding a new feature to the show. We want to send flowers to many more people and organizations who are making an impact within criminal justice and beyond. If you want to recognize someone or organization that you know, please send us an email at thelastmileradio.org or go to thelastmile.org and fill out the form. We'll mention one flower recipient each week on the show. And with that said, Chris, I want to give you your flowers. Thanks, man. And back at you, as always. And I want to make sure since we're giving out flowers, I give you your flowers, you who tuned in with us again. Presence is priceless. So thank you so much for tuning in with us. I hope you soaked up some game, should I say, for sure, for sure, because it was a lot being dropped and understand the part that you can play to make a difference, for sure, for sure. And we would love to hear from you. We want to hear your voice. So be sure to tap in with us at thelastsmileradio.org. And you can always hear this show or any show anytime on the SXM app. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm Maserati E. And I'm Chris Redlitz. And this is The Last Mile Radio. On Sirius XM. No lie. I, I've been on a journey for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I've been on a journey for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I'm paving the road to success. I'm paving the road to the best. Wait, I'm paving the road to success. Hey, I'm paving the road to the best. Wait, no lie to the best way. To increase the success rate. Define odds against us, even when it's unexpected. Changing the world by changing the way we view the world, it's all perspective. 